On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are joined by Evan Lazar from CLNS Media. We talk about the NFL now having no preseason games and what that's going to mean for the roster moving forward. And of course, the quarterback competition as we are on opposite sides of that opinion. It's a heck of a conversation. So buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's Let's good. Intercepted. 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 Bags, we're back, and uh, you know, football's coming back, baseball's back, basketball's back, everything's back, and hockey's and back. Still, hockey that's right, hockey's back. I that's like they haven't played their first game yet, so I, I, know, like, I, know. I like, haven't been, you know what I mean? But um, but it's still, it's a it's a kind of a sad day for sad, sad week for Boston here. Sure. We're recording Wednesday night, and news just came out about Mookie signing a 10 year deal or 12 or however friggin' many years he signed with uh. He signed with LA. He's going to be there for like the next 13 years or something like that. I read and uh rough day, rough day to be a Red Sox fan. You know, can, can, dude, can like 2020 get any, anywhere, literally any worse, anywhere. Like <laughs> Kobe dies, Tom leaves COVID. Uh, yep. For us, we thought Jared Siddham was a the quarterback. They bring in Cam. That put a damper. Maybe <laughs> still a doesn't happen. Yeah, still, still doesn't happen. We'll but they brought it in and caused all this commotion and divide between Pat's Twitter uh, and then, right. uh, then the Red Sox trade Mookie. That was um, that was right around February, yeah. right? Um, before yeah. training, uh, spring training, and then now today. And and I never thought this guy would come back, like ever. Like how do you how do you do that? This guy, the best homegrown player in Red Sox yeah. history, in my opinion. He was the only He's player ever to win a Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, MVP, World Series, everything. I think in one year. I think Ted Williams. I think Ted Williams might be homegrown player. So. But maybe, yeah. maybe you know, recent there, in the last there. in the last twenty five years, you know, hundred percent, yeah. I, it's just like somebody who gave his all. Um, when you look yeah. at a Boston athlete in particular, how to carry themselves, like it's not easy, man. And and I just think that right. ultimately came down to it why he wanted to sign there. I think he feels comfortable, and I mean, anybody's throwing that much money at you. Obviously, it's hard to say no. And and with the pandemic and kind of baseball and kind of in it's a weird spot, it it makes sense for him, but. Um, yeah, man, it sucks. I mean, it's like him leaving was almost kind of like Brady. You didn't, yeah. it's like he's gone, but you don't really realize it because it hasn't you know. haven't seen any games and it's been such a long year, but now it's like, wow. Okay. He's gone. Well, <laughs> I mean, the thing is he's so young. Right. And that was the biggest part of it. It's like, he's so young and John Lester, look, you lose out on Lester and that yeah, started oh. the cascade of issues, right? Where you overpay for price. And then because you overpay for price and he sucks, now you get to bring in Chris sale and like this whole, so that becomes this whole thing, but that you can start at the John Lester part, right? They screw up Lester. They bring in price. They pay him a ridiculous amount of money. 
He's not good enough. So now they got to bring in sale. They pay him a ridiculous amount of money. They redo sales deal. They, they re-up him. They pay more sale a ton of money. They do all this stuff. So the issue is, and, and this is the problem, right? And, and people hate on, on, on the Red Sox for being cheap. And look, I, 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 I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to sit here and defend John Henry. Like, I'm not doing that. But you'll never, you'll never get that from they me. Were, they were above the luxury tax. And if you're above the luxury tax for three years in a row, after the, the fourth year going into it, they murder you as far as like, you know, every penny you're over, they charge like, it's like 15, to, it's, it's foolish. Like every penny you're over, they charge you like 75 cents. So you get your, if you're a million dollars over, you're paying $1.75 million. So if you're $20 million over, you're paying. So that's the issue, right? That's why they got rid of bets. That's why they moved price. They did that because they needed to get under that salary threshold for one year. Because if you yeah. get under for one year, it resets the next year. Yep. So their thought process was, okay, let's trade Mookie. If LA doesn't sign him, we can throw we can throw all the money he wants at him, which is fine. But the problem is, is that you mismanage it to the point where you were over for three years and you didn't have anything to do with bets, right? You couldn't figure this bets thing out earlier. That's the issue. You needed to look at bets and say, this is the guy we have to keep. So two years ago, you should have been saying, all right, we're going to be up against it pretty soon. So what the hell do we have to do to start moving some things around to keep this guy around, right? How are we going to do that? We can't just, you know, money's just not going to come out of anywhere. We have to get under the luxury tax for one year. Let's do that. And then we'll reassess with Mookie after that because then we can pay him as much money as we want. But instead of doing that, they stayed above the luxury tax threshold. And then they were like, oh, crap, now we got to get underneath it. But we can't keep Mookie because he's going to put us over it and we can't get rid of this guy. And no one wants – it's like, it's a snowball what are we doing? Like, it doesn't it, make sense, you know? It's a snowball That's the real problem. Yeah, snowball effect from personnel problems and in, in front office right. and baseball ops issues from the past three years. Yep, you can play devil's That's advocate it. and say it brought them a World Series for sure. But when this guy's right. up and you're out overpaying and dumping the farm and you can't keep this guy around, you're going to piss a fan base off. Um, right. You know, we had season tickets for years. Granted, we got two World Series out of them the first year. My family got them was 2013. So obviously we saw a bunch of great baseball, but we didn't renew them this year. It's like, it's just, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard from somebody who like, uh, that was my team growing up. And now just after these right. decisions and it's just so up and down, it's been Tough, t- tough day, tough day. We, we'll miss you, Mookie. Thanks for the memories, right. brother. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's and that's really that's all you want from look. As much as I, as much as people hate on John Henry and everything else, and I get it, I get it, and I get I, I don't love John Henry either. But from a business perspective, you can't pay. You just simply can't pay the amount that they were going to have to pay to be a, above the luxury tax threshold. You just you can't. You just can't pay that. It doesn't make any sense to do that. So. You had to get under the luxury tax threshold because then it resets for three years for you. So I get that. But again, like I said, and, and you know, it's the mismanagement before you get to this point. So if anyone tells you, oh, yeah, you know, they had, that's true. But you needed to look at this roster and say, okay, Devers is cheap right now because he's young. Devers, Mookie, Benintendi, those are your guys, right? You have to keep those guys. They're the best players in the team. So if you look at Mookie and say, okay, we have to keep him. And obviously you have JD, so you got to keep JD Martinez. But if you look at it and say, okay, we have JD Martinez, Rafael Devers, and Mookie Betts. 
Those three guys, and then you add Ben Benintendi in there as well, those four guys, that's the core of your team as far as from the offensive side of the ball. So you hold on to those guys as much as you can, and you figure something out. You know this is coming, and you say, okay, instead of getting under it in 2020, let's get under it in 2019 and go from there. And look, I understand they were gearing up to try to win a World Series and blah, blah, blah. But, like, figure it out, man, because this is this is what happens. Like you said, you lose a fan base because the fans are like, well, screw you. You have all the money in the world, and and you're not paying Mookie bets. And, yes, you're missing, you know, the fan. a lot of the fans are missing that, you know, that luxury tax threshold part of it. But again, figure it out before you freaking get to this point. But either way. So anyways, we had to go on a little Mookie rant because, you know, Mookie leaving hurts, obviously. It hurts. So, but we're going to get into, we're going to get into the meat of the show. And, and that is of course, Evan Lazar from CLNS, former, former Pat's pulpit member. Yeah, uh, Evan Lazar ago. from CLNS. Yep. Uh-huh. So it does a great job. And of course, you know he's on the opposite side of the uh, of the Cam Stidham take that we are, but uh, but it is what it is, man. And he's a great conversation, super super knowledgeable guy. I mean, some of the stuff he says, he's just like having a normal conversation. He just throws in like, oh yeah, you know, you see this cover, you know, oh he reads this and this and this, and we're like, oh yeah, 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 no, totally, I get it, yeah, eh, sure. I have no idea what that was going on, but fine, that's a, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's like uh, super knowledgeable guy. It is, it is, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. So that's why that's why he's doing what he's doing. We're doing what we're doing. So absolutely. Um, but anyways, so but anyways, this is a great conversation. So listen to it, and we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Hopefully, we'll have a date on uh, on when training camp will start next week. So we'll go from there. Can't wait. All right, we are happy to welcome back onto the show a good friend of the show, uh, Patriots reporter from CLNS Media, Evan Lazar. He is like the original. The original highlight, not even highlight, tape guy from Twitter. Evan, thanks so much for coming back on. We appreciate it. We're, uh, we're looking forward to talking to you. Absolutely. I'm coming behind enemy lines tonight is what I've been told. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm coming with the gloves off, guys. You know, let's get into this. Hey, hockey's back. You got to get used to it now, right? But uh, Right, exactly. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get right into it. I think uh, obviously a lot, of, a lot has changed in the last few days and you know, in terms of the preseason and, you know, it seems like they're gaining some sort of ground and they're definitely not like the MLB has been with their COVID plans and, you know, keeping everybody safe. It seems like they, they have a good understanding on both sides. They're just trying to work some stuff through, but obviously the news has come out. There's no preseason, right? And Bill Belichick, you can ask the veterans, obviously they they might not be a fan of the preseason, but nobody loves preseason football more than Bill Belichick. We, We all know that. Um, and, and kind of how, I guess we can kind of get into how this affects these guys on the roster, right? Let's get right into it with the undrafted. Obviously, it's a 16-year streak about that, uh, of a guy making the team. And now you take that away and, and you know, the training camp, but you don't, you're not getting a lot of live action. I guess I'll open it to the floor. Pat, we can start with you. How that affects the roster and, and these bubble guys that, you know, their dreams might be shattered because of this. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I... I don't know how you keep anyone that you don't know. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you're not, you're not allowed anything. And you think back to like some of these guys that made the roster. Malcolm Butler is a great example. Like Malcolm Butler was, was an invite to rookie training camp, like rookie minicamp. He wasn't even, he wasn't even an undrafted free agent. He was a guy that was just a street body that they brought in for rookie training, rookie minicamp because they needed warm bodies. And they were like, Oh, this kid's pretty good. We'll sign him to a, to an undrafted free agent deal. So of course you didn't have those guys, but now the undrafted guys, they don't get a chance to shine in, in real game time. 
it's just pre, it's just you know practice, and so you don't really get you know the full scope of what you want to see in practice. So I don't know how the heck they're going to do it. What I'd like to see, and I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if the NFLPA or the NFL uh, will will agree to it, but I'd like to see them expand the roster somehow. Now they're they're already only bringing eighty guys to campus at a ninety, which which makes zero sense to me. I don't understand why you're just arbitrarily cutting ten guys off the roster. This doesn't make any sense. But they're arbitrarily just taking 10 guys off off the roster for training camp. So fine. Patriots can have 81 because Jakob Johnson. But even still, you know, okay, you got 81 guys to choose from. Well, now how the hell do you get it down to 53? So I'd I'd love for them to A, either expand the active roster to like 60 instead of 53, or B, which I think is more reasonable, expand the um the way uh practice squad from 10 to 15 or even 10 to 20, give some guys an extra shot to stick around and see what happens because you're not going to get live game action from these guys. So give them, give these guys more of an opportunity to be in the league at least. And so uh, that's my take on it. We'll see. I mean, but again, it's, it's really hurts obviously the chances of not only undrafted guys, but all the rookies to make an impact on any of the teams that they're playing for. Well, I think that, you know, Really what they've missed at this point, I think it comes down to how many padded practices are we going to get before week one. And right now, based off the reports out there, it sounds like we're going to only get eight. And that to me is just r- ridiculous. It's it's way too few, yeah. even for the starting players to get up to speed. I mean, we're not even talking about, I think the biggest thing about practice and cutting these preseason games is that you have eight padded practices in practice, when you're going up against your own guys, it's not live action, right? You're not going no. 100% effort after your own guys. But in preseason games, that's when we're really talking about football, right? And it's difficult for these guys, in my opinion, for the evaluation process, certainly with undrafted guys, with younger guys trying to carve out roles, new guys trying to carve out roles. That's a difficult part of it. But I think that if you look at actually the guys that have been around, even the veteran players, even the starters, do they have enough of a foundation to build off of? Because remember the first day camp when pads go on and you start hitting people, you are talking about building your base fundamentals, right? You're not talking about game planning. You're not talking about what we're going to do in week 10 against the chiefs, right? You're talking about your base core fundamentals, our base defense, our base run schemes, our base passing concepts. And then you build up from there. And when you have eight padded practices to build that foundation, Early on in the season, especially what's going to end up happening is you're going to see a lot of bland football, in my opinion. It's not necessarily that it's going to be sloppy or something like that. I think it's going to be schematically, they're going to have to be pretty bland because they're still going to be incorporating a lot of new guys, especially the Patriots. There's a lot of the turnover on the defense side of the ball with the quarterback turnover. It's going to have to be pretty rudimentary, and it's not going to be able to be that chess versus checker stuff at times. And I think that that's going to be the difference this season is that ultimately it might come down to talent outshining scheme and coaching this year. And that's going to be sort of the, the seesaw battle. The Patriots are going to have to play here moving forward. Yeah, I think, I mean, that could certainly hurt the Patriots, you know, for sure. Like, you know, I mean, you talk about, talk about a a team that relies on, on their, uh, on their coaching, you know, and of course they have great players. I mean, their defense is stacked with great players, but uh, you know, offensively and even and even defensively what they've done what they continue to do is just you know is build off of that great coaching and so 
you know, so we'll see moving forward. Now let's get into the quarterback position. Cause as you said, you are behind enemy lines. We are both Stidham guys. Um, do you think that the lack of preseason games and what looks like honestly is going to be a shortened, uh, shortened off season even, uh, or shortened training camp, I should say, do you think that, uh, that benefits one side or the other, you know, whether it's Stidham or Newton, or is it just like a normal training camp that you, you, you look at it that way? Well, I think that it definitely benefits Stidham just a little bit, but honestly, when you're Cam Newton, you've been doing this thing for 10 years already. You, you know who you are as a quarterback. The Patriots know who they're getting as a quarterback with Cam, and they're going to understand what kind of offense they're going to be able to build around him and run off of him. So I don't think it's a major advantage in either direction, honestly. I think the best guy would probably win out in the end anyways. And I think the biggest thing with Stidham is a lot of people talk about, oh, well, he's here for one more year over Cam. And I think that you have to, in this season in particular, weigh the differences between Stidham having one year in his rookie season of backup reps in practice in the Patriots system versus Cam Newton, 10 years of experience in the NFL, which one is more important in this season? I think that at the end of the day, like I said in my first answer uh, about talent kind of trumping scheme at times, I think it might actually be more important to get the more talented guy out there in a year like this where I don't know if you're going to have any overhaul changes to your offense. I don't know if you're going to have any wholesale changes to your offense to build around either quarterback because neither guy's Tom Brady. Right, neither guy's going right. to succeed trying to be Tom Brady. So you're going to have to ch- make some changes either way. Uh, I I don't think that it's a big deal in the beginning of the season. I think it will matter. I think towards the end of the season, you're probably going to see the finished product be what they were going to be anyways. Once they get some games under their belt and they start practicing on a weekly basis like they normally would in the normal circumstances. And I think really what we're talking about with all this no preseason stuff and 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 this type of stuff is really the first four to six weeks of the season, you know, and then I think everybody will sort of round into shape from there. Yeah. And I think too, the preseason would have benefited both of them just from a standpoint with Cam's skill set. Obviously, you know what you're getting, right? Like you said, 10 year NFL veteran, won an MVP, played in the NFC championship game, played in the Super Bowl, right? Like he, he gets it, but his skill set is, is more shown in, in game action, right? Like obviously, you know, what you're going to get from him. Can he show that he can run the offense, right? From a from a practice standpoint and control the, you know, control the line, control show he can step in right away and, and understand this complex playbook. And then for a guy like Stidham, it's his chance to really separate himself versus opposing defenses and show that he's ready, other than facing his, you know, his defense that he apparently picked apart last year during practice that Devin McCordy and Stephon Gilmore talked about. You know, I think in that situation, both of them really could have benefited. And and like you said, when you lay it out like that, obviously you have to give the advantage to Cam just because of his resume and what he's accomplished and obviously how uncommon this year's been. But then it comes back to this. Like you go through a virtual offseason like they have, right? How uncommon it was and the obstacles that they had to occur. You go through that with a guy that you, I mean, maybe they they knew in, in inside that he wasn't going to be the guy and they were going to go after Cam, but they had to have at least some sort of faith in this kid going forward if they were willing to drag this out so long. So I guess it's kind of a two-part question or, or kind of to talk about, but I think the preseason could have benefited both of those guys, but in primarily Stidham. Yeah, you know, I, I just feel like at the end of the day, it, we talk about a lot of this stuff with the preseason and how important it really is. And, and people really wanted to cut the preseason down anyways. And it's probably never going to get back to that full four games, right? Yeah. They're probably going to get somewhere like two or three moving forward. So I, I think that it's 
it's interesting right now in the moment. I think that right now there can be arguments made that, you know, maybe this benefits Stidham a little bit more than Cam, like I said, because he has that familiarity with the system. I, I just kind of – I always kind of lean on the on the side of the player in terms of just – I don't know how complex this offense is truly going to be for a guy like Cam Newton. This guy's ran all sorts of offenses down in Carolina, all sorts of offenses at Auburn, yeah. you know, he's done a lot of different things already in his NFL life and in his football life. So I don't think that you're really going to throw anything at him that he's completely not understanding. And he was in Carolina with Norv Turner and he was running an Earnhardt Perkins system, same verbiage, same general passing concepts that he was going to run here in new England. He's making reads off of leverage, making middle of the field, middle of the field, open middle of the field, close reads, you know, things like that based off the safety alignment. So I think that he's done a lot of the things the Patriots are going to ask him to do, especially recently with Turner in the last couple of years in Carolina. So I think at the end of the day with the whole Stidham thing versus Cam, and this is kind of the, to sum up my entire argument for why I've been so Cam pro-Cam on all of this, really with Stidham when I look at the deck and I say, okay, you know, last year they tried to be – Tom Brady, precision passing, timing passing, getting the ball out quickly, being what Tom Brady has always been throughout his career, and they didn't have the skill players to do it, right? They didn't have the talent around Brady to be able to be the offense that they needed to be to go on a deep playoff run. Now you put Stidham in there, and I just don't see how he's going to elevate it any more than Brady was going to last year. But the difference with Stidham and Cam is that if you put Cam in this offense, now you can run an offense that's a lot more about deception, right? Multiple guys in the backfield. Who's got the ball? Who's running with the football? Is it a quarterback? Is it the running back? You know, play action passing with the quarterback now is a threat to run. So it's really kind of a triple option where you can hand it off, you can run it with the quarterback, or you can throw it. You know, that deception and that sort of deviation from what they've done in the past, I think really fits their roster the best. And if you have that formula, right, of run game, defense special teams coaching that's how the patriots are going to be successful well the best way that they can be successful to that formula is by having a running quarterback because of all the schematic advantages that i've talked about and the things that i've written about camp you know the fact that they have that extra body down in the box that the defense has to account for in the quarterback even the numbers advantage a lot for the offense so if they're going to be that team that really focuses and leans heavily on the run game having a mobile quarterback only makes that better right and having a stationary quarterback really puts the offense at a disadvantage unless they can get dominant blocking up front from their offensive line, which maybe this Patriots team can. I just I feel like their margin for error and their ceiling increases substantially when now you have a quarterback that with those two tight ends at the rookies, Nikhil Harry, the running backs that they do have, the offensive line that they do have, you can see how this offense can come together a little bit easier with Cam than with Jared Stidham. No, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. Uh, the one thing I will say is I think that, you know, Stidham is far more athletic than, than Tom Brady ever was. Now, that doesn't make him Cam Newton, but I think he is significantly not, more athletic. He's athletic, but you're not, you might bootleg him every once in a while. Maybe he picks up right. a first down on a scramble like he did in the preseason last year, but it's not changing your offense, right? It's not changing no, the defense. I understand for you that. Yeah. Against the defense. No, I get it. I get that. So um, the, the question that I have and, and what I've kind of been thinking, you know, just about the preseason and because there is no preseason and Belichick, we've talked about, you know, anyone, anyone that's been following the Patriots knows that Belichick treats the first three to four games of the regular season as an extended preseason anyways, even when he's already had four preseason games. And so now you're not having a preseason. Now you're looking at, and you mentioned it, Evan, like the first four to six weeks of the season are probably going to be probably going to look 
like preseason games where there's not a ton of scheme going on. There's not a lot of coaching because it's just like, hey, like let's just go out and see what we have. And Bill likes to do that anyways to see what he has with his team and see different things he can do. You know, my thought, the thing that I've been thinking about for a while now is that would it be crazy to run out both quarterbacks and just say, hey, look, we're going to give Stidham some time. We're going to give Cam some time. And now, look, if if you walk into training camp and Cam is a thousand times better than Stidham and, you know, Stidham doesn't even belong on the same field as Cam, well, then there's no reason to do that, right? But if they're close and you're like, wow, they, both these guys can really handle the offense. They're both doing a great job out here. They both can can lead this team very effectively, uh, and we don't know which one's going to be the best one. Now, again, like you said, the scheme flexibility could could lean a little bit more towards Cam, and that makes a lot of sense to say, hey, look, we can we can add this deception wrinkle into our team. But I just I wonder, like, if you're extending the preseason that way, does it make sense to kind of run both those guys out? And again, you're not maybe not doing a 50-50 timeshare, but you see, you know, see a game, the first few games at least, where both quarterbacks are taking snaps in the game Real snaps, not like, you know, not garbage time snaps, like real snaps in the game that are plan- game-planned into the game. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't have a ton of precedent in the NFL. That's the biggest thing with kind of a two-quarterback offense, right, is that maybe we see it sometimes right. in the college game. We'll probably see it often in the college game, or maybe they bring in a guy that's more of a running back playing quarterback, and then they have kind of their passing guy, right? Lynn Bowden. And we've seen it be sort of successful at times, okay? But I think at the NFL level, usually you have one starter, right? And you name the starter. And the biggest right. reason why is continuity, right? Because if you have Jared Sidham and Cam, especially, those are two very different quarterbacks for the most part. So if you have both of those guys kind of part of the game plan and part of the offense, now the offense kind of needs to change when it, one guy is out there versus when the other guy's out there. And that can be confusing for other guys, right? You know, you got two rookie tight ends. You got Nikhil Harry, who's in his second year. You got Jacoby Myers in his second year. You have those three guys out there, right? Now, all of a sudden, those are your three or your five edge eligibles, and you have your flip-flopping playbooks, right? That That's when it can get confusing. Now, if you want to say that maybe they they find out that Stidham's really the better quarterback, but actually Cam, you know, on the goal line is so good down there, right, as kind of that goal line back is huge. And they have a special goal line package for him, or a special red zone package for him, where they incorporate multiple quarterbacks. I could see that happening, but in terms of having a, a one guy or, or kind of having a timeshare, I, I think that there's not a ton of really history of success there. Now, granted, Bill Belichick could probably do anything and get away with it, so he might be the one and only coach that could sort of get away with something like that. But at the NFL level, you usually stick to one guy as the starter, and it's really because of that continuity. Yeah, no, I agree too. And and for that case too, it's like, what do you, it's tough. I could just never see them doing that. And I know it's because we had Brady for 20 years. So it's like an afterthought to think there's ever been a competition or, you know, two guys fighting for a job or even seeing that like Taysom Hill, uh, Drew Brees type of thing. But I want to touch on two before, you know, before we wrap things up here. My um, thoughts, Spags, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, no, I don't go mean ahead. To interrupt you, Spags. No problem. I, you know, my only point that I was making was that, and I agree with you where, you know, where there isn't really any precedent set, but my, for me, I just look at it and say, well, if they truly can't now, I think Bill makes these decisions anyways, but like if they truly couldn't decide between the two that they might use the first few games just to do that, not as, not as a game planning thing, like moving forward through the whole season, but just the first few games to kind of give them some actual game action just to see, um, you know, again, 
it might not make sense because they'll probably make a decision because knowing Bill like figures out, you know. Yes, he he could honestly do anything, and and I think that he could accomplish pretty much anything that he wants. (laughs) You know, if he wants to play two quarterbacks, if he wants to play ten defensive backs on the field on defense, he probably win eleven games doing that (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I I wanted to touch on too, kind of shifting it over to who's going to protect them because that that was a big issue last year, and I think uh, we've said here, you've said, everybody said when when that when that group is healthy, that's that's a top five, top three unit in the league. I mean, they'll bully the line of scrimmage, they'll do things like they'll ride them just like they did in twenty eighteen to a title. With them back, obviously Andrews coming back healthy, you're assuming he he's ready to go. Shaq Mason, who I think was they were hard on him last year. I think that was a tough job for him with. Um, you know, Cannon being banged up and not having Andrews and then, you know, Isaiah Wynn missing nine weeks. If they get that, that, you know, that line, right. There's no reason this team can't run through them, especially that offense. And I, and I know you were talking about them a lot today, I guess, kind of elaborate a little bit on kind of what we can see from that line. Obviously the loss of Skarnecki is, you know, going to hurt, but they have some veteran guys in there. Obviously Isaiah Wynn, I think is the youngest of the starter and he's been here for obviously hasn't played much, but this will be his third year in the league. So I guess kind of elaborate on that offensive line and how they can really be a backbone of this team. Well, that's, I mean, that's where their money's invested, right? Really, when you start to break yeah. it down, it's as of right now, secondary on, it's on in the secondary on defense and then on offense, it's along the offensive line, right? You know, you're paying Dotuni 15 million a year, obviously on the franchise tag, you're paying Shaq Mason over 10 in his contract. Marcus Cannon's got a pretty decent cap number of almost $10 million. David Andrews is on the cheaper side for centers. His deal is a pretty good discount, but he's still making a pretty good amount of money. And then you have a first round pick at left tackle, right? So that that's where, that's where all the blue chips are right now for the Patriots on offense. And they need that unit to be prolific. They need it to be a top five unit in the league. If this offense is going to be better than it was last year. And I think that when you look at how they're built and how they're able to really focus on the running game here, I think that they can do that and be effective offensively. Now, if you look at the history of sort of rushing attacks over the last decade, the teams that have really been able to lean on their running game and get or average a good points per game total, you know, something over 25 points per game, basically being a run first team. It's Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, it's Seattle with the, with the Seahawks, with Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch, you know, it's Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys with Zeke. All these offenses that involve mobile quarterbacks, it's Cam and Carolina, right? Those are the rushing offenses over the last decade that have really taken that next step forward and gone from being, you know, a compliment to your passing game, especially statistically, to being really the thing that spearheads your offense. And I think that that's really where the offensive line is going to have to be the focal point for New England. It's just that's going to have to be the difference between this team is that when they line up on first and 10, they're going to have to be able to run the football. And that's what other teams are going to be able to come in and, and expect for them to do as well, I would think, regardless of who is under center. So it's going to sort of be a strength on strength thing of we're expecting it, you're going to do it anyway, kind of like it was down the stretch in 2018 at times. So I think that's going to be the biggest question is can they find a way, if it's Stidham especially, can they find a way to do it with a stationary quarterback or at least a guy that's not going to be designed into the running game? Can they figure out a way – to still have a prolific rushing attack, even being one short in the box most of the time. That's going to be a big-time question mark for me. But if it's Cam, 
then they have this ability to really open up a rushing attack with scap read, zone read type stuff, RPOs, you know, all those other types of things that you see these other teams like Baltimore run, that that's the reason why their rushing attack is not, you know, a team that runs averages four and a half yards to carry. That's why they averaged over five and a half yards to carry last year. And when you really start to add it up, those offenses that are stationary quarterback led, most of the time their rushing attacks are good, but they're they're never really that potent, amazing level, right? And it's really those teams that have mobile QBs that have different elements of that smoke and mirrors with the rushing game that that's when those teams really can take off. So I, I think this offensive line has the starting five will make up for the fact in my mind that Dante Skarnecki is gone with their experience. And, and they'll really kind of, I think it's going to hurt them the most in the development of the secondary guys, the backups, you know, the t- the five guys that they've drafted over the last two years, you know, Froholt and Kajus from 2018 and all the guys there, 2019, excuse me. And then the three guys they drafted in 2020, how is that development going to go as they have to fill right. David, An- uh, excuse me, uh, Joe Tooney's spot, Marcus Cannon's spot, David Andrews spot, maybe eventually. How are they going to be able to develop yeah. those guys a year or two or three down the line without the wizard there kind of, you know, pulling the puppet strings? That That's really going to be the question mark for me moving forward. I think that this starting unit, this veteran unit with Popovich and with Rosillo, who have been around the, the, the organization for a couple of years now with McDaniel mm-hmm. still in place, I think that they'll be okay. But the question is, is that depth and the development of those first and second year guys without Skarnecki in the building. I agree. And that's the thing. I mean, you look at, I think the Patriots won in 2014 without uh scar as to, with the Guglielmo as, as, um, as the online coach. And then 15, they were a mess on the offensive line. And, you know, it was almost like that, you know, they move forward with, they a, had with a lot of injuries in 15. People forget they that. Did too. I, I know. Point that not out. fair. Like but, that, that offensive line that played in Denver was not their starting off. Oh my God. They, they were showing. So. I know. But I just, you know, I just, I just, I like to throw shade at Guglielmo because only because it, it props Scar up a little bit. Not, maybe not right, but that's what I do anyway. So, um, but uh, so the question that I have, because I, I really expected now, again, you mentioned Marcus Cannon had, you know, $10 million cap hit. I expected Cannon to be cut this year, to be completely honest with you. I expected him to be one of those like surprise cuts that we see sometimes. Um I'm curious about your thought here. I mean, for me, shortened training camp, no preseason games. They'll have less uh, on the fringe um, in Burkhead, you know, be back. Um, You know, so it's like, you know, to me, and I'll get your your opinion on it, but to me, I feel like there might be less surprise cuts this year than, than in other years continuity that you have because you haven't been able to build up that continuity with other players yeah no i 100 percent agree with that you know i know that marcus cannon was sort of a popular potential cut candidate i threw actually patrick chung out there before his extension as potential cut candidate i think the pandemic wiped all that out you know those guys they're gonna have to play this year you know and i think that if you're gonna look at a guy like yadney kajus the only hope of him actually surpassing Marcus Cannon or being close enough to Marcus Cannon to make Cannon expendable was having a full training camp, OTAs and mini camp where he's healthy, right? And he's on the field and he's participating. Without that, I mean, there's just no chance for any of those guys to really take over. I think it's going to be tough even for guys like a Damian Harris to now get over Rex Burkhead without any real chance to prove that he's improved 
from last year, right? There, there's really not a lot of buildup here for Damien Harris to go out there and impress everybody to get him to pass Rex Burkhead even on the depth chart. So I think all those veteran players, the Patriots last year really hung out on to a lot of the veterans. You know, I think there were a lot of rumors in camp about Deron Harmon, about Alandon Roberts, you know, some of these kind of guys that maybe you could see trimming the fat a little bit and giving some of those snaps to the rookies or to the younger players on rookie contracts. And they ended up not doing that, right? They really ended up keeping all the experienced guys on the team. I think this year it's going to be even worse than last year in terms of keeping those guys around. So all those surprise cut candidates, all those videos and tweets and columns that we wrote about it, I think that that's probably out the door now. And really, you're going to have to go with the guys that have been there before with you. And and that's, I think all teams are going to sort of go with that. And even still on top of that, I think the one interesting thing about not having any preseason or any real buildup here is that, they're really I feel like there's going to be less poaching by other teams off of your roster because you really don't have those guys to come in you know you're getting them in at a late time when everybody's still trying to play catch up and everybody's still trying to get comfortable from the guys that they signed in the offseason you know it's not the same normally you know you have one guy that's coming in that has to get up to speed or two guys that are coming in that have to get up to speed but now they're still going to be getting the normal guys up to speed right so I just don't see teams really going too far outside the box this year. I don't see the poaching from practice squads or waivers being as active when they do have roster cutdowns because if you haven't been in the building for the virtual meetings and this entire buildup and the sort of this whole process, it's going to be a really difficult year to play catch up. I really don't see how that could really be a possibility. So maybe some of those guys that in other years would probably get poached by other teams and wouldn't make it back to the Patriots practice squad, some of the UDFAs or the rookies or or the second-year players that they end up cutting, maybe this is a year where they actually can get those guys back to the practice squad and and stash them there. So there are some positives, I think, in that respect that you're not going to have, you know, every year we see the Patriots get guys stolen, you know, from their their practice squad when they cut guys through waivers and other teams go ahead and grab those guys. Right. So I I don't think it's going to happen as much this year, but really the veteran players are the guys that are going to play. And on defense, I I think it's a big thing too, because, you know, you have guys like Josh Uche and and Anthony Jennings who you wanted to have these roles for as rookies with Van Noy and Collins leaving. Uh, It's probably going to end up being a lot of John Simon and Brandon Copeland, quite honestly, at the outside linebacker positions and obviously Chase Winovich too. You know, those three guys are going to end up probably paying a ton of the snaps in the first six weeks of the season or so. And really any rookie that can get on the field this year, that's really a testament to their effort, I guess, because it's going to be an extremely difficult year for those guys. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's it's going to be it's going to be a strange year. And like you said, you know, kind of status quo stuff, you know, changing everything, going through a full change and bringing in brand new guys is going to be difficult, you know. And so that's going to be a challenge for them. It's funny because, you know, in 2011, like the Patriots made the Super Bowl in 2011. And I I feel like a big reason they made it was because of the continuity they had. Remember that, you know, that was the year they did the, um, they did have the CBA going on and there was talks about a lockout and all this other stuff. And like, and they had a very, very short off season with, without OTAs and all this other stuff. And, and the Patriots just had such continuity that they just jumped right in. They were fine, you know? And so I feel like that was a big advantage for them. And this year they don't have that advantage anymore because their quarterback is whoever their quarterback is, is brand new. Uh, as far as a starting quarterback for the Patriots. And so it's going to be a challenge for them to to kind of come through and, and see what's going to happen. But if anyone can figure it out, it's Bill Belichick. So at least we're in good hands with him. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, hey, listen, we're getting football back. 
I don't know when the heck they're going to report. Uh, hopefully it's going to be soon. There were obviously reports that the rookies were supposed to be the 21st. That got pushed back. There's no date about that. Training camp was supposed to start the 28th. It looks like that's getting pushed back. We don't know what day that's going to be, but hopefully we'll find out in the next, you know, in the next few days to weeks, uh, next few days to a week, you know, when that's going to be. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just good to have some stuff back and you see basketball back and baseball coming back and, you know, and, and hockey's coming back. And so the next thing is just football. Oh, we get, get to football. You know what I mean? So, but Absolutely. Evan, before we, uh, before we let you go, Evan, why don't you, you know, plug yourself, let us know where let people, I mean, I'm assuming everyone follows you on Twitter. They'd be stupid if they didn't, but let them, let them know where you are on Twitter and, and where else they can see you and read you and, and everything else. Well, I appreciate that. It's Evan, it's uh, easy Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R on Twitter clnsmedia.com is where you can read all my stuff. Go follow our YouTube page at Patriots Press Pass as well. We do live Q&As, videos, daily videos, countdown to camp coverage, all that kind of stuff on the YouTube page. And uh, I'm happy to come on with you guys anytime and debate this uh, camp thing. It's, it's exciting to have a quarterback competition regardless of which way it goes here for the Patriots. I'm sure they'll come out the other end better off for having both these guys in camp, you no know, regardless. So uh, it's been a, it's been a blast to kind of go back and forth on Twitter about it. And uh, I stick to your guns though. I mean, you know, I, I feel it'll be cam, but you know, maybe you guys will end up being right. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, how, how long's the uh, quick question before you go? Cause I got to ask cause of Barth. Uh, how long's the quarantine beard lasting for? I don't know. That thing, that thing's looking like as thick as Pat would get in the playoffs <laughs> over here. You know, so it's crazy. And actually, I trimmed it at, like about Barth halfway. Barth lets his go in the, in the uh, in the season too. So Barth Bar shaved his. I can break that news on the podcast. <laughs> Last time okay. I saw Barth, he was clean shaven, not clean shaven, but trimmed, right? And uh, my beard in the last, I would say week or two has taken on a life of its own it went from being you know pretty tame to all of a sudden now it's it's all out everywhere so i uh, i'm gonna keep it until camp until i have to report to camp and uh, and go back to work and and then i'll, I'll give it a trim but uh, i'll keep the beard for a pretty long time i think i i always see the comments on twitter so i had to ask <laughs> i know i know it's pretty funny because it it really it was like w one week it was nobody said anything about the beard. And then like that Monday, all of a sudden, everybody was like, what's going on with the beard? And I was like, <laughs> overnight, it just kind of sprouted That's up what happened, man. You just gotta, you know, I grow, I grow a winter beard every year and I start, I start earlier every year. I feel like, you know, I just get lazy and I, and I just like, ah, I'll just start growing it out. And like, I'll go like two or three months without shaving, maybe even more. Sometimes I just literally won't even touch it. It just goes. And it like, Oh my God, man, it gets unruly. And my students are like, what the hell is going I on with your face? I and I'm like, hey. I'm like, patch your whole head over here. So <laughs> you got to hold on, man. Just hold on to that beard. And no, don't let, this isn't the New York Yankees. You don't have to trim that to go, to go to camp. Guys like David Andrews will love that. You know? I just want to look professional, you know. Right now, I look like <laughs> a little bit of a. I got I got a lot going on, so so just make it look yeah. look tidy. That's all. Yeah, that's it. Right, that's it. All right, Evan. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'd love to talk to you again. We'll uh, hopefully we'll we'll connect back with you during the season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, call me in a month, and we'll see who wins the starting job, guys. Absolutely, hey. Zolak hey. will too. <laughs> Hey, listen, if Sounds we good. if Thanks. we win, we're gonna bring everyone on. So so you know, so oh, we'll go yeah. from there. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I can't wait. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you, Evan. Thanks so much, man. All right, man. No See problem. Ya. Thanks, guys.